Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay Anelli. I'm Lorelai Weissel. I'm Brian Dawes. And I'm Chris Delano. And I'm James Wyatt from Wizards of the Coast. Welcome, James. So today we have a very special guest. James, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, let us know what you had to do with the latest magic set. Um, well, let's see. I'm James Wyatt. I'm a senior game designer on the Magic Creative team. Um, I've worked at Wizards for 20 years now as, as of last month. Um, and I was I, I took over sort of midstream as the creative lead for Theros Beyond Death. So um, I led the creative text team, wrote the world guide, um, but did not concept the art. Fair enough. Hi, boss. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Theros is obviously the top-down Greek myth set. Uh, and I know you personally have some experience with Greek epics, especially developing the flavor text. Can you uh, talk about that a little bit? So in college, I sort of randomly ended up in a minor in um, Greek language and literature in the classics department. So I read the Iliad in Greek, which is pretty awesome. Um, and was was thrilled to be able to put that uh high quality, expensive education to use 30 years <laughs> later um, in, in writing creative text for a magic set. Um, there's a, a cycle of commons in the set that have excerpts from the Caliphaea, um, Theros's answer to the Odyssey, uh, that are written in, a, in, in an anglicized version of Homeric hexameter. So you see the, the rhythm of the um, lines in there that just that makes me so ridiculously happy that the editors let me get away with crap like that. <laughs> Do you have to fight any of the editors on that one? No, Greg Lubin was the editor uh, I worked with, and he was very accommodating. <laughs> I, I do have to say, uh, full disclosure for listeners, I was on the creator text team with this set, so I worked with James. James, I do have to say, it was terrifying having to like write make up greek names and flavor text and stuff with you on the set because i'm like oh no am i doing it right you did fine <laughs> you did just fine thank you yeah I, w I was really happy um that the caliphaea got in there um i think we there were there was another one right the cosmogony maybe yes i know we had fooled around with like a bunch of different ones but uh yeah it, it was cool to see those uh in the set i, I always like in world fiction uh obviously we saw this a lot in dominaria with the those sagas but then uh getting to build off of what the theory had started was really neat yeah i um i i was so delighted recently to learn that the um the shoot what even is it called the little library of classic the classic library ah my brain is frozen up um anyway there's a little series of little green books where um, you have the Greek text on the left page and the English translation on the right page, mm -hmm. um, except for the Latin ones, they're red-covered books. Anyway, they're available online now, and I went and looked up uh, Hesiod's Theogony in order to see if there was like a, a poetic structure there that I could copy for the cosmogony, which I did not do. But that's how deep I went. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's related. Why can't I remember the name of these, these books? I'm really embarrassed now. 
<laughs> all the all the classics majors listening to this are about dude you don't know what you're talking about <laughs> i graduated 30 some years ago look i i still believe you have some sort of degree in this stuff don't worry <laughs> <laughs> the Loeb classical library i went and looked it up it's like like it, it's i don't know any better any better anyway it's all greek to me <laughs> somebody had to say it i'm glad it's, we got it over with early oh i i am the queen of terrible jokes <laughs> Oh man. Well, oh, so what goes into expanding the world building of an existing plane like Theros? Like, I, I've got to imagine it's it's a ton of like trying to make sure that you hit everything that you miss, right? It is a combination of um, trying to hit everything that, and when we get when we get to actually developing the set, trying to hit everything that is is awesome about the essence of Theros, um, and then what didn't we do? So uh, a mixture of of hitting the most powerful resonant notes again in a way that doesn't feel repetitive. Um, and then I, I'm pretty sure the original world building sort of intentionally stayed away from anything to do with the underworld. So that was a wide open series of Elysian fields for us to explore. <laughs> so uh, one of the other questions we want to ask you is about Clothis. And is, am I saying that right? Clothis. I, I guess Clothis. Okay. What was it like creating Clothis as a new old god who had always been around? A bit hand wavy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, no. Uh, we planned this all along. <laughs> um, I, I'm joking partly because I was not uh, involved. Like I said, I took over midstream um, uh, as the creative lead from Jenna Helland, who launched it, um, who you would probably recognize as the author of the Theros novella first time around. Um, so she worked with the art directors and concept artists uh, to make Clothis happen. Um, but a big part of it was was sort of figuring out what the gap in the Pantheon was and um, why there was no god there before Xenagos came along um, and what the what the role of this missing god should be. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so you know it's it's funny you're you're joking about oh we've, we planned it all along uh but one of the people well one of the questions i've seen a lot of people ask is the journey into nick's key yeah. art has a broken <laughs> statue that looks a lot like what what clothis ended up looking like did you all take inspiration from that for her design honestly i'm not sure um <laughs> i, Fair I enough. would love to say yes i hope that it's true <laughs> <laughs> i'm uh, yeah let, let's say yes <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here folks <laughs> it was destined to be that way yes exactly you know some of the best honestly some of the best things you can do is just claim credit for it after the fact <laughs> so like realistically though like sets don't always have all the answers and later sets can come back and add context to things and if you do it well and it works seamlessly it looks like you had it planned all the time and, and i think i think clothes fits in pretty well with what was established on theros before and um 
whether or not she was intended in the first set doesn't matter because she's there now and it feels organic to the existing yeah, world building. That, and, and, and I think that all came out really, really well. I, I like Clothis a lot. Thank you. Yeah, I was going to say something about how we're building a house of cards. That's not quite right. <laughs> world building <laughs> for magic is fundamentally constructing a movie set and trying to make it look like a real place. And the the more sets that we do, the the deeper that facade is, but it is still a facade. Um, <laughs> it, it's interesting. You mean it's having... all just made up? Shh. <laughs> <laughs> um, having worked on both D and D and Magic, it's like we have we have different concerns um, in the world building that we do, the things that we have to cover. Um, when fundamentally we the most basic thing is we need 250 pretty pictures of this world and cool <laughs> stuff happening in it um whereas yeah anyway <laughs> <laughs> so why is clothis or clothis coming out now like it seems kind of weird to me because like the the way theros works with godhood like is the uh, the way I understand how Godhood works on Theros is that if you have believers, then you can be a god. So if Clothis has been in the underworld for so long, how does that um, work with how Godhood is attained and retained in this world? Um, I would make a subtle distinction on what you said. Uh, there is an idea that is pretty common in fantasy, and it shows up in D&D a lot, that um, the the devotion of mortals gives gods their power and what we have been what we've always said about theros is that the belief of mortals creates the reality of the gods um, and the the dreams of mortals create that reality so it's not necessarily that um clothis requires my devotion to exist but that uh, mortals have believed that this god existed long enough that that became the reality faith is sort of a, a very anachronistic concept for greek myth um that american uh people tend to project onto um, ancient religion um even though she's mostly forgotten um the story of her existence and her coming to be as one of the first gods, actually she and um, uh, Crufix were the first two deities um, to, to take on reality in this world. Um, that gave her enough of a leg up. I think that she managed to, to persist at, even after being mostly forgotten for a long time. Does that make sense? I'm just kind of rambling at this point. <laughs> no, it, it makes a ton of sense because that distinction is important and, really key especially for me that that it makes a ton of sense and i i I like the i like that explanation to be honest yeah the the idea that clothis and crufix are like these even among the gods kind of primordial gods uh was something i really liked uh when when i read the world guide and um it it really resonates with uh crufix has a line in in the one short story about him and uh about how uh, he doesn't even know how he was created. Like, he's he knows, like, everything on Theros, but, like, there's this back end that, like, he cannot penetrate beyond. And it's, like, literally because there wasn't godhood before then. And then, like, I think that's 
like uh, again another one of those details that is added later that like fits in really <laughs> neat with something from before <laughs> i think it's kind of uh fascinating that if crufix and clothes being kind of mirror like not really mirrors but uh, the concept of a god of mystery and a god of destiny sort of that god of uncertainty and the god of certainty being these uh -huh. primordial gods being represented that's that's a really cool sort of duality there yeah i think that's exactly right um i i'm looking at a snippet of unpublished text right now in fact that uses almost those exact words <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that uh Clothis might have arisen from a, a, the mortal, an early mortal sense of inevitability that um, this is the way that things are, are going to happen and must happen. And Crufix born from a sense of mystery. Yes. Yes, perhaps we are looking at the same text. Hmm. Oh, I don't have access <laughs> to any of that text. Okay. Um, but I, I do think uh, Clothis is like this really fascinating god to me because... Um, the thing that I really appreciate about her and sort of leading into another question, uh, we had Xenagos, who was this like god of revelry, and he really exemplified the sort of wild nature of green and red together. And then we have uh -huh. Clothis, who is so distinctly different in her and who she is, but she's the same color identity. So how would you say that like Clothis embodies or expresses that red and green color identity? Um, I, that's a great question. Uh, Clothis has has been through sort of an identity crisis um, within the building and trying to get her packaged up and out the door uh, that centers around the words fate and destiny. I ended up having a long conversation with Mark Gottlieb on the design side about this um, because he was arguing strongly that fate is not the right word to use. We've, we've seen the fates in Theros before and they were black-white, um, the, the triad of fates. And one or two other cards, I think. So the idea that I really tried to uh, work with with Clothis is mortals are bound to their fate. Um, the the strands of their life are, are played out in a very um, uh, black and white sort of, sort of way. <laughs> um, part of what it means to be a hero in Theros and in uh, Greek thinking is to strive against fate and to try to overcome fate. Um, but destiny is the natural order of things, the way that things are meant to be um, at, a, at a cosmic scale, not an individual lifespan scale. Um, the gods are bound by destiny. They're not bound by fate uh, because the gods have a, a place in the structured order of the way the, the universe is put together. Um, the, that's the very green aspect of Clovis is uh, emphasizing the natural order what is especially rad about her is when that natural order gets violated and what we see her doing in uh, Theros Beyond Death is emerging from the underworld to uh, set things right, to restore the order of the um, cosmos the, the way it was supposed to be. Um, so she does have a fury aspect as well. She big mad. Yep. <laughs> yep. So you touched on this a little bit already, but can you talk about the relationship between the Titans that we see in the newest Theros and the the older, the elder gods like Crufix and Clothis and then the rest of the Pantheon? I can touch on that a little bit. Um, 
it, so again, it sort of stems from this idea that uh, what mortals dream and believe and fear and hope and long for takes on reality in the, the div divine sphere of Nyx. Um, so the the Titans, which we never we didn't see in the first Theros block, um, they are a, a new addition to the mythology, but but they're old. <laughs> They've always been there. Um, they represent, if you imagine uh, the most humans in their most primitive state, the things that they um, observe in the world around them and fear. Um, Titans are largely born out of fear. Uh, they're creatures of utter chaos, um, and they stand opposed to any any mortal efforts to build civilization or order. Um, they are like the titan of death's hunger, death being this awful, terrible, primordial force, uh, a fearsome thing in the early mind. Um, and Uro, the titan of nature's wrath, uh, is the incarnation of natural disaster, like um, more wild and uncontrolled than we see Keranos and Thassa uh, in the, the fully developed pantheon of gods um, as, as similar forces, but not so um, primal and chaotic. Let's see. So that's the Titans. Then you have Krupix and Clothis, as, as I was saying, sort of growing out of this um, uh, a maturing human sense of um, not just the fear of the chaos of nature that I can see around me, but beginning to wonder about purpose and meaning and identity and um, destiny. And uh, so Cloth is growing out of that sense that, that, that there is an, an inevitability to existence and Krufix growing out of that sense of wonder and awe and mystery. And then um, the rest of the gods sort of uh, represent principles and orders and natural law that, that you can start to think about once you have a sense of mystery and a sense of <laughs> destiny. Um, so they're, they're sort of the next developmental stage of mortal imagination in a way. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's good because I think that that brings a like a new structure to the pantheon in a very interesting and organic way, as opposed to kind of this flat structure. You know, Krufix is this mysterious god that's a little more powerful than all the others. Um, but I I really like the way that uh, that that layers on with the power of Theros from the base fears to assigning meaning to the world to that being refined with future god generations i guess yeah and i think you can make a distinction too between the five monocolored gods and the rest of the pantheon the other i guess eight once you've eliminated prefix and clothes um where like heliod as a, the sun god and the white aligned god um you can see in each of the uh, the multicolored white gods, some aspect of Heliod's um, principles of order and justice in society, but taken and applied to mortal life more directly. Um, so if Heliod is justice, then Ephara is justice brought to people and enacted in codes of law and um, ordered society and the polis. Um, 
like that. FASA, just as a side note, FASA, I love as I, cause I have, I've gone through and recorded what each God is the God of. FASA has the most domains uh, associated with her. <laughs> she's got like a she's got like a billion here that I'll I'll read off in a future episode. We're not going to waste time going through all that here. It's because blue is the best color. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I just I'm feeling really bad for Nylea because Nylea's got like two little like demigods underneath her or not demigods like the two two color pair gods underneath her because crufix and clothis are primordial yeah true (laughs) speaking of demigods Uh, (laughs) nice transition (laughs) yeah uh can you talk about them because like i i love the departure that from greek mythology that you know in greek mythology most of the demigods were born of the gods uh you know, having relations with their human yeah. worshippers, uh, and I, I kind of appreciate that they aren't like scamming or honeypotting humans anymore. So. <laughs> it's really impossible to have a mutual, uh, equal relationship between a mortal and a god. You know, there's there's no power equality there, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Um so demigods, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so like what was the thought process behind like making them the chosen and making them the the proxy of the gods in, in this war on Theros? So um it it ties into uh the underworld theme because these are all figures from history um people who have died uh and come back but so um again honestly this is a place where i picked in picked up after jenna had gotten the ball rolling um and i don't i can't speak to what her thought process was but uh Mm, you know the the concept of a demigod of a mortal who's got a special favor from the gods is pretty important to uh, what we think about in greek myth and something we didn't touch on before um, so this was an opportunity for us to get in uh, a couple of figures like Caliphy, the Mariner, um, that we had talked about before, but hadn't. You know, there was no way we could put her on a card in the first block, and a, a new way to play around with the devotion mechanic a little bit too. Yeah. So you you did just mention that they're all dead. So so not to put you on the spot here, but you killed Anax. So my recollection, and I might be wrong, is that Annex ended the uh, Theros novella like mortally injured. But yeah, he did die after that. Fair enough. Yeah, I, that's a question I've seen a whole bunch um, because his, his fate was kind of left un- undecided. He got, you know, carted off the field. So that's right. good, to, good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> they got carted off the field and then other things happened and no one bothered to check back in with him. Some pretty big other stuff was going on, you know. <laughs> so uh, you hit a lot of uh, Greek hero and demigod tropes this time around. Are there any other demigods or heroes from Greek myth uh, that you would want to tackle to make a magic version in the future? For instance, I think Lorelai mentioned uh, Heracles or Hercules seem to be uh, a, a big one that doesn't have a direct parallel yet. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting because we've got several of his labors represented on cards, but not him. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think. 
uh, why we haven't done him. But <laughs> or you can simply say that hey, we're saving that for the next arrow set. So that, well, yeah, I'm pretty sure the, ne- the next arrow set we will do another pass through. Um, I'm I'm personally curious about the rest of Siona's crew, uh, the rest of the not Argonauts um, who they are. <laughs> They're called um, my polycule. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I want to see the ships, like the monsoon and the pilees. Oh, yeah. That would be cool. Did we get an Odysseus? Um... Calafi. Oh, okay. Calafi's the Odysseus equivalent. Yeah. Okay. I think yeah. we need Cure to come back and steal the monodent, so Thassa has to get <laughs> another weapon. <laughs> I think it. I think it, it just, just happened in a supplemental story, like after every Theros set, like Kira just comes back and steals it and steals something from Thassa. <laughs> wow, how did you know we were doing that? <laughs> well, uh, you see, James, I know a lot of things about the future <laughs> that I'm not allowed to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Welcome to our world. <laughs> uh so oh chris this one's yours yeah um so james at like the start you mentioned that you uh you worked on D D, and i know you wrote a lot of the plane shift or you were all of the plane shifts and like the the ixalan adventure um i didn't write been, the ixalan adventure you didn't write that the ixalan adventure oh no that was chris tulak and i think his wife cat well um yeah and we're not giving you credit for it <laughs> yep no more credit for that that goes to someone Good. else that's right but you you have worked on D a lot and we uh we've been playing a D game on the podcast for the last couple of weeks awesome i approve uh on the last episode the crew fought a minotaur and we sort of noticed that there's kind of been a big tonal change in how the minotaurs are handled on theros in this set um they have their own city they're not really as uh they're much more sapient as i guess a way to put it than they were in the original set so like what is What's going on with that? What was the, the so, thought process behind that? Um, this is a, a play case where I actually can speak to the thought process because it wasn't mine, but I was there. Um, so <laughs> the the first time around um, for the Theros concept push, we got artists to say, okay, here's Minotaurs, and we got a couple of Minotaurs. And uh, the creative team did not anticipate the number of Minotaur cards that would come out of design. So uh, <laughs> suddenly we had we had these creatures with very little to differentiate one from another, um, no culture to speak of, um, basically monsters. And we had, I don't know how many cards in, in uh, the, the three Theros sets. Um, so one of the priorities for the artists in the concept push for Theros Beyond Death was, okay, we need to give Minotaur's culture so that we can make if they're going to give us a whole bunch of Minotaur cards again, we need to be able to differentiate them better. <laughs> so um, they did get a polis uh, that lies beyond the badlands of Boboros uh, across from Akros um, so that we could have Minotaur people. Um, the idea is they're still remote and um, people in the, the human polis don't see them very much, but um, but they're there. But the the savage bestial minotaurs still lurk in Phoboros in the canyons and stuff. So you can fight them too. <laughs> uh, I'll make no comment about how savage the minotaur that they fought was. <laughs> well, it's not savage anymore. 
<laughs> I took care of that. It's quite peaceful now, actually. Um, and then y'all just left it out to rot, too. Oh. I'm a golem. What do you expect me to do with it? It's up to the it's up, it's up to the leonin and the human to eat it. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, James, can you talk a little bit about what went into the five wards of the underworld, how you divided it up for the color pie, and a little bit about what the inspirations were? I can talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we looked at uh, the range of ideas of the underworld that do show up in Greek literature and um, some stuff that's been sort of accreted on around it. Uh, but so you've got the Elysian fields um, where the heroes get to go and you've got the, the bleak monotony of Hades that most people endure we we tried to structure them around the colors in a in a sort of punishment fits the crime sort of sort of way um so that you get the people who were um fighty all the time ending up fighting in the underworld in the, in a big arena and a watery place where memories go to drown and um, stuff in Nerono. and yeah i think i I think that's all of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that should be five. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So the the next the last scripted question we have for you is a the most important one. And uh -huh. that's the one Chris wants to ask you the most. So this was definitely um on on my mind a lot when looking at the set and playing with the set and planning sort of a D D adventure around it. Um what's up with all these goats? Um, can you say more about that? Well, I mean, like, the Woe Strider comes with a goat. Uh, the Discordant Piper dies and leaves a goat behind. I'm just thinking, like, there's there's a lot more goats than in a normal magic set, right? That's because Theros is the greatest of all time. <laughs> oh, God. Well, well, well played. Look, well played. Chris, the mortal realm is scary. Woe Strider needs a travel buddy to like <laughs> hang out and make sure like he stays safe. You know, it's just you just go with your friend because you're scared because it's all bright and people are stabby. And then when you you kill a, a zombie satyr, uh, they become a goat. That's exactly how that works. I need to look at these cards now because this is crazy. <laughs> it's two. It's just these two cards. This is what you're concerned about. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I just want to let you know, like uh, the discordant piper showed up in our D and D game because I'm just so fascinated with this this weird satyr zombie that leaves a goat behind, uh, and I won't I won't speak to whether or not the woe strider shows up, but we'll see. There's a couple more games left. So I thought I knew the answer to your question before you asked it, but now I'm looking at these cards and I'm like, what is up with all these goats? <laughs> 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 um, Like, there there were cards in the original Theros block that made goats. I'm checking. Trading Post is not Trading? Theros. Was Theros? Nope. No, no, that was that Corset. I think the Corset was around that time. Though. That was M13. Wow, okay. Um, um, I think the only main... I think the main transformational card from the original was um, Curse of the Swine. I don't think there was a goat pigs. one. Yeah, so so we had the boar tokens. I don't think we had goats. 
Yeah, I don't think there's a there's no goat card in all of Theros block. No card makes goats or mentions them. There's some sheep. There, all right, there are I'm, some sheep. I'm totally bewildered now. I don't know where these goats came from. I'm sorry. Well, the I, underworld, I, obviously. <laughs> That's true. They're both related to things that come from the underworld. So maybe these goats are part of the underworld. The original denizens of Theros, the goats. <laughs> well, so no, what they are is they're sacrificial victims that are now all over the underworld because people have been sacrificing them to goats. To get to the gods, rather. Sacrificing the goats to the gods. <laughs> hey, that makes a lot more sense than what I said. <laughs> goats are actually extinct in the mortal realm uh, because they were all sacrificed to the gods. And now that the underworld has opened up, <laughs> they're coming back. It makes sense. We did have like some things like that, though. That, that uh, um, Farika Spawn being like one of the proto gorgons that farika originally created and was like oh this is gross i don't like this and throw it away into the underworld but it's like gets to be back now and uh, i think there's a chimera that's made of like extinct things yeah um so so like we the set actually did get to like hit on like what if extinct things came back out of the underworld a little bit and that that's neat and like i the underworld of theros is so cool like it ah, it was great like i i <laughs> I understand why we can't just have like a whole set of it. And like, I think it takes up the appropriate amount of this set. But like, I wish we could just see more of it. Like, I, I think we only get like one card that shows uh, Phileas. Um, and like, like some of the concept pieces of that were like mind blowingly cool. Like, uh, you can see a little bit in the existing art for it the, uh, the kind of slanted, uh, claustrophobic buildings. It's really cool. It is cool. <laughs> magic is cool yeah so we're <laughs> so we're we're out of scripted questions but uh while we were on <laughs> while we were on uh, our pre-show uh chris who's you know chris and brian are probably our biggest D D fans here and i think you are uniquely suited to answer uh what what chris was thinking about chris do you want to ask what yeah. you're what you um, so yeah, like Jay was saying, I've played a lot of D anD D, so it's really cool to hey, be able me too. to. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's really cool getting to talk to you both as like a and D player and as a Magic the Gathering player, and just like, oh wow, here's a person who knows about both of those things pretty well. Um, but I was thinking earlier, I was looking at some of the Plane Shift documents, and I was thinking about playing games in, in Magic settings, and uh-huh. how I've how I've taken like Magic cards. And incorporated them as like objects or as monsters or encounters in a D&D game. And I'm just wondering if you've ever had like something come up in a D&D game or you've taken inspiration from a D&D game and ported that into the creative aspects of a magic set. Um, sort of like Bag of Holding in M19. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I said. I was thinking about that, um, but that's like an individual card. But like, there's yeah. other aspects of D&D that sort of could be a larger part of the creative world building of a set. But like a whole plane of slutty bards? <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> You're giving away information. You, you signed an NDA, Lorelai. <laughs> so I'm thinking about, um, about the upcoming Zendikar set a little mm-hmm. bit. Because, uh, you know, my first project when I moved from the D&D team to uh, the Magic team, one of them was working on the Zendikar art book, which I dove into pretty much as if I were writing a D&D campaign setting book. Um, and then I wrote Planes of Zendikar to put in the rules stuff that I couldn't put in the art book. <laughs> um, 
so Zendikar definitely feels like a very D&D world to me. And I think that uh, I'm not the only one who feels that way. And maybe next fall you might might see some elements of that. Um, <laughs> I I am seriously so excited for Zendikar, just in general. It is. It's good. Hey, you did an awesome job on the creative text for that set, by the way. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I think this oh. is like the the first public thing then that I worked on that set because I've been waiting for it to be a little closer to the same. <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, it is. We, we shouldn't be talking about it at all. <laughs> really? Yeah. What's on the car set? Well, I think um, I think Mark Rosewater has come out and said that it's they're they're trying to recapture that feel of the original Zendikar again or something along those lines. And Zendikar is definitely like a D&D world, so I, I see that a lot. But I see aspects of D&D in Theros, too, with, like, the gods having their own sort of demigods, which makes me think of, like, a cleric or a paladin in the D&D mm-hmm. world. Um, and they're, yeah. like, they're different domains and things like that or sort of the gods that they are following. For sure. I think there's there's a lot of overlap there. Um, I'm trying to think about other magic sets that I've worked on and... and whether I well Ixalan mm-hmm. I think I, I probably built Ixalan more as a D&D world like I drew a map <laughs> which which we actually made into a real map which we don't usually do for magic worlds so that's <laughs> oh it was it was so upset um god who's the fellow uh Jared Blando yeah 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 uh yeah to have like the Ixalan map happen and then two sets later have the dominaria map happen to have the dominaria map like that was so exciting as as at that point i hadn't been contracted for anything yet so i was still very firmly in the community fan base part and like having maps was like the most exciting thing yeah then we got it for ravnica too so for the 10 yeah sort of (laughs) you had a creative burst of three maps and then Mm -hmm. (laughs) let's not anymore that was a lot (laughs) (laughs) how do you really Matt Zendikar, anyway. I've tried. It's hard. <laughs> so we are we are coming up on our uh, time here for you, James. Is there anything about Theros uh, you'd like to mention, or, or anything else you'd like to talk about before we uh, before we look to wrap it up for today? Huh. I should have thought of that before we started talking it would be good good to have some idea of anything i might want to say but no i i theros tickles me uh the the creative text throughout the set um i think is just great fun not just thinking about my own weirdnesses that i put in there but the team did a great job and um, i mean my weird messes too yes exactly what about say your favorite bit of world building from theros I'm I'm super happy about the whole Clothis thing and figuring out fate and destiny and so I ran a D&D campaign for a long time set in the first century Roman Empire hmm. um, because in addition to being a classics minor I was a religion major and studied early Christianity extensively um, and meanwhile a friend of mine was doing his senior thesis on Roman Britain and so a campaign world was born <laughs> um, <laughs> But that idea of, uh, of fate being a thing that you need to escape um, was a really prominent religious theme in um, first century Roman world. Um, and as an understanding of what it means to be a hero in the Greek world or in a D&D campaign, 
maybe in real life i don't know um i guess i don't really think that but um it's just it was just an interesting bit of of philosophical world building for me to do thinking about clothes and her role in the world well, I definitely have to say all of the new elements for Theros come off incredibly organically, and they definitely do feel like they were just off screen from the first block. So thank you. <laughs> Mission thank accomplished. You very much. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. God, and we didn't even mention Calix. He's such a good little boy. He's baby. Oh my God, Calix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll let Calix go for now. He's busy. He's got work to do. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> Well, this has been fun. Thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It was a pleasure. I'm happy. I, you know, I like talking about the stuff that I do. I don't always get a chance to do it as much. So I'm happy to chat. The The first time we ever met in person, I think we ended up talking for like an hour, just like standing in a hallway at a convention. I, it was, I believe that's true. Was that Hascon? Uh, yes. Yeah. So relatable. Yep. <laughs> I, I, I unfortunately haven't met you in person yet, but I saw you booking it out to your car from the <laughs> office at one point. It was like close to the end of the day and you were just poof, gone. How funny. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Thank, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. So if you like our show, and we really hope you do, you can head over to patreon.com slash LaVorthosCast and help us keep making episodes every week. Everyone who supports us gets access to our Discord community, where Vorthoses from around the world are having a blast with this new set. Everyone is, like, super psyched for Akoria too, and, like, Unsanctioned just got all previewed, and there's lots of stuff happening, and bright colors and noises, and it's exciting, and everyone's talking <laughs> about it, and it's good fun. Um, so, if, if you want to be part of the Vorthos cast community and, and help support us... We greatly appreciate it and thank everyone who keeps this show running and lets us keep doing all this goofy stuff every week. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.